Hey everybody, welcome to church. My name is Chris McDaniel, the lead pastor here at Trinity, and we're so thankful that you've chosen to join us for our online service. Before I read and pray and preach, I want to share just a couple of reminder updates. Number one, we are at two morning services in our parking lot, and we hope if you haven't hung out with us in a while that you will come sign up online and join us for one of our in-person services in the parking lot. Connected to that, just last week, we have started a limited beginning of our Trinity Kids ministry. And so we would encourage you to come and bring your kids. But maybe more importantly, right now, because we're building our volunteer rosters, we would encourage you if you're an existing volunteer or one that hasn't maybe volunteered in the past to sign up online, go to atltrinity.org, our West Side site, and sign up to be a volunteer with Trinity Kids. Y'all, we are so excited to be moving back to a kind of new normal, and we need your help to do that. So services in the parking lot, Trinity Kids, a lot of great stuff's happening here around the church. Now I'm going to read Exodus 14. This is a pretty long passage of scripture. We're going to read verses 5 to 25, and then I'm going to pray, and we're just going to spend some time in the word today. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army, and they overtook them by the sea, by, tough word to say, Piharioth in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the Israelites might go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And then the angel of the Lord who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and took its place behind them. And it came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night and one did not come near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. 
at the morning, at the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and he threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty and the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's see what we can see in this passage. Holy Spirit, we ask for your wisdom today as we sit and look and think about the word of God. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to um, receive from you what it is that you have for us in this story here as we end our Lenten journey. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Y'all, today is Palm Sunday. We are now one week out from Easter Sunday. We're beginning Holy Week. And I believe that this act of deliverance is actually really, really important for us to consider. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks and month or so, we've been in the story of Exodus as we've wandered through the Lenten season looking for home, looking for Easter. And it comes into a place of real culmination here as the Israelites are actually set free from Egyptian bondage. Our story picks up, the one that we read just now, um, right after Pharaoh has let the children of Israel go. So he has ultimately said, go, get out of here. Go do what you said that you need to do. And God here has opened a real door and now the Israelites are walking out into freedom. And they think their troubles are behind them. But we know that there's trouble in front of them. It's kind of an interesting thing for us as we look at our own life where we walk out into freedom. We think the minute we walk out of bondage, we're, we're set, we're home free. But as we will see in this story, and as you see in the story of the Israelites, leaving slavery is one thing. Learning how to live free and be free is another thing. The Lord intentionally leads the Israelites out of bondage toward the Red Sea. But if you look at the verses before what we read today, what you see is that the Lord takes the Israelites in a very particular way, a kind of circuitous way, not a straight line, but a long way because he was afraid that they would run into conflict and be tempted to return back to Egypt. It's interesting that here at the very beginning, God knew the kind of fickle and fragile heart of the Israelites. And he knew that if they ran into too much trouble, they'd want to go back to what they knew before, even though what they knew before was not good. This is a theme that we'll see as we look at the Israelites. They are always, like you and me, tempted to return back to slavery, to places of bondage. And we're going to return to this idea again and again as we follow the Jews. So I've got a few things that I want to say about this passage in particular. Number one, the Jews here are pursued by their captors. Their captors set them free and then they think, what on earth have we done? And now Pharaoh and his army, 600 picked chariots, they go after the Jews to try to get back what they've let go. And if you've ever walked out of a bad situation, you know this feeling. It's like you leave and everything seems good. And then it seems like the thing or the person or the bondage or the addiction that you left is following you. Well, that's exactly what's happening to the Israelites. They're free and yet pursued and as we think about our own lives and we think about the fact that God wants to move you and me toward places of freedom, it's a, it's a common thread for us to see that we can walk out of bondage, but it sometimes seems like the things that we were in bondage to, they follow us, they pursue us. Well, here, Pharaoh pursues the Jews. He chases them. And there's a real irony here because what we'll see in this passage, and if you follow on for the rest of the story of Exodus, it seems like the Jews and the Egyptians have a kind of weird codependent relationship. 
That leads me to the second thing I want to point out here, which is that bondage has a kind of insidious pull attached to it. See, Israel and Egypt hate each other and kind of need each other. The Egyptians need the Israelites for free labor, but the Israelites in some ways express a need for the Egyptians because of the predictability of their bondage situation. See, here's one of the things that we have to sit with as we look at bondage in our own life in light of the Jews. They had been in slavery for over 400 years, so that meant no living Israelite knew what it meant to live like a free man or a free woman. They and their parents and their grandparents had lived in bondage. And so the idea of freedom was really appealing, but the lived experience of freedom, taking responsibility for your actions, having to trust God day by day by day, they had not had to do that work. Effectively, they'd become kind of institutionalized to this slavery in Egypt, and they were in a precarious position. So it's not long after that the Jews began to rationalize their Egyptian experience. They began to think, well, back there, at least we knew where we were going to sleep. At least we knew where we were going to eat. What they're expressing is there was a kind of predictability connected to bondage. Now, the same is true for you and me. We may not like our habits. We may not like our bondage. But there's a kind of comfort that comes even when things are not what God has for us. And the Jews here, though they were made for freedom, had never really experienced freedom. And they're tempted to go back over and over and over again. And I just want to say to you, don't judge the Jewish ancestors here. Because we experience the same temptation in our own life. How often do we walk out of a bondage to pornography or excessive alcohol or compulsive eating or gossip or greed and then feel tempted to go back to it thinking, well, maybe there was something there for me after all. In that sense, we're not unlike our Israelite friends. But now Egypt is literally chasing Israel. They are free and now they're being pursued. And nobody likes to be chased. Nobody likes what it feels like to be pursued with a feeling that you can't escape. How often do we have a sense in our own life that we're being pursued by something that we want to get out of, we want to be free from, and yet it's coming after us? See, I think for the Israelites, and it's important for us to think about this story from the perspective of the Jews so that we don't flatten their experience and judge them. If you're being pursued and now you're at the edge of a big ocean, a sea, a big body of water, the Jews quite literally had nowhere to go and they began to wonder if they've made some sort of terrible mistake. And that leads me to the third thing I want to say to you. When faced with crisis... The Israelites, and I would argue you and me as well, express cynicism and fatalism. It's fascinating to me that the first thing that comes out when they see the army coming behind them and the barrier in front of them is a kind of sarcasm. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you let us out here, Moses, to kill us? I mean, they're being sarcastic as their life is hanging in the balance. And then that gives way to fatalism. They say, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the woods. And I find it fascinating that I am so like the Jews, that when I get into a place of liminality, an in-between place, and I feel like I'm being pursued and I don't know how to move forward, oftentimes I too become sarcastic or cynical and then fatalistic. 
See, I think sarcasm is what happens when we try to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. We start to sort of like use a hard edge to explain it or to try to rationalize it. And then when that doesn't work, we say, well, I guess we're all going to just die. And many of us right now, if we're honest, we, we would acknowledge that when we're squeezed by adverse circumstances, that which comes out of us or emerges from us is not all that inspiring. Well, it was true for the Jews. It's true for me. And my gut tells me it's probably true for you. See, the Jews are not behaving well. And I just want to say this to you. When you are under pressure and you do not behave well, God understands that it's the anxiety and the fear coming out and speaking and that it's not necessarily coming from your truest self, your truest place where you're capable of trusting him. The same was also true for the Jews. So what does God say? The fourth movement in this passage is rather than say, well, I'm abandoning you, go on back to Egypt if that's what you want. That is not what God says. The fourth thing that God tells the movement in this passage, what God says to the Jews is he says, you're going to have to learn to stand still. Now put yourself in the Jews' position. An enemy pursuing them, an obstacle in front of them, and God says, stand still. He actually says it through Moses more than one time. And it's my conviction that we have to learn to stand still even when we're afraid and anxious. The Jews were terrified and God said to them, stand still. And so often when we become afraid, we actually overact, we overfunction, we try to figure things out on our own and we oftentimes make matters worse, not better. Well, God tells the Jews, I want you to stand still. And if we're honest, we would argue and see that the Jews really didn't have any other choice. What were they going to do? Where were they going to go? They couldn't turn and fight. They couldn't flee. So they were stuck. But when you are in between a rock and a hard place, what other options do you have? And yet we make things so much worse through our anxiety and our activity and our trying to figure things out and solve them in our own hands. And so God looks at them just like he looks at us and he says, when you cannot solve the problem on your own strength, you've got to learn how to stand still. This is why I carve out quiet space at the beginning of every single day where I sit quietly with my Bible and with the Lord and I learn to stand still if you do not practice standing still when all hell is not breaking loose you will have a very difficult time standing still when the rubber hits the road and crisis is all around you so the Jews are told to stand still I've heard countless stories as a pastor and experienced them myself of people like you and me who have made the fearful choice to stop running from pain and fear and sin to find out whether God could meet them in a place of standing still and the Lord changed everything and I think he would do the same for you. But we have to make a choice. Will we stand still? And this leads me to the last thing I want to say. They didn't stand still forever. The fifth movement in this passage is we must be prepared to move when God makes a way forward. I love what the Lord says to Moses. He says, tell the Israelites to go forward. After he moves an impossible obstacle, he says, you got to be ready to move. And the Jews, 
were ready to move when it was time to move. Now, I find it interesting that the Red Sea parted, but it took all night for it to part. And there's this beautiful analogy here for you and for me as God moves us forward. He says effectively to us, I'm going to move an obstacle and give you a way forward. And when it happens, I want you to be prepared to move. So what does it look like for you to be ready to move? Maybe you're stuck right now. Maybe you feel like there's no way forward. Well, I want to say God is able to make a way. It's what God does. He is our way maker. And sometimes the way takes a little bit of time. I love the fact that the Red Sea didn't part in an instant, in a second. It took all night with a strong wind. The Jews had a sense that God was doing something. And the Lord said, when it's ready, when it's time, I want you to be prepared to move. And I just want to say to you, when morning comes... It's time for you to move. When God acts, it's time for you to work with him. And some of us have been in a kind of holding pattern maybe for a really long time. And I just want to say the time for you to start moving is coming. The Lord actually is going to move and act on your behalf. And he wants you to be prepared for him. Y'all, we're entering today on this Palm Sunday into Holy Week. And a lot happens in this week. This is the most significant high water mark of the year for Christians. And we would invite you to walk with Jesus and with us through this Holy Week toward Easter. See, one of the great distractions for us is that we know Easter is coming and we might want to rush to that happily ever after too soon. Resist the temptation. Just as the Jews sat all through the night watching a sea begin to part, we are going to spend the darkest week of the year watching a way open up in front of us, watching Jesus make a way. On Thursday, he will be betrayed. On Friday, he will be murdered. On Saturday, he will rest in the grave. And on Sunday, he will live again. And this pattern of following Jesus wherever he leads is the invitation of the Christian life. And I believe it's the invitation for us this week. So we would invite you to walk with us into Holy Week. I've got three questions I want to put before you. And if you're on your own, these are opportunities to journal. And if you're with a group, maybe an opportunity to discuss. They'll come up on the screen. You can hit pause to capture them. Number one, where do you currently feel stuck between a rock and a hard place? Where do you feel like you're like the Jews, an enemy behind you and an obstacle in front of you? It would be good for us to name the places where we feel stuck. Number two, how might God be inviting you to learn how to be still even when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place? What does stillness look like for you? Are there practices you could begin to engage that would help you learn how to be still even when things are hard? And thirdly, what does it look like for you to be ready to move toward freedom when God says move? I believe the Lord would have us Reflect and pray and think about those things, even talk about those things with people we trust. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then after we do, we're going to turn you loose to either receive communion in your groups or to go about your day. But I want to say this first. If you would like to receive communion kits, you can come up to the church any time during business hours during the week. And we'll give you prepackaged communion kits to take to be with your friends or your family or by yourself. And also... If this is your church, it's an opportunity to give and support our mission. If you're checking us out from far away or from Atlanta, there's nothing expected of you. Um, the opportunity to give is just for folks who call Trinity home. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together with one voice. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.